I was sharing earlier that um, oftentimes I choose a, um, a reading uh, that is not the text that I'm preaching on, that, but that will complement it. But just hearing him read that makes me, want to, <laughs> makes me want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. That is one of the power chapters in all of Scripture. Thank you for being here this morning. What a blessing it is to be with God's people, to be with precious believers in Jesus, followers. Um, I, this is my favorite time of the week, my favorite time of the day, of this first day of the week, to be with you. But not their favorite. First, first Thessalonians chapter 4. We're working our way through the book of Thessalonians. We're uh, coming to the end of chapter 4. I want to uh, deal with that. And I really wanted uh, to finish up chapter 4 and to get into chapter 5 because 5 is just so uh, tied to it. There are no you know, chapter breaks. When Paul wrote the letter, it was just a letter. But we put those chapter breaks in there. But, but, but chapter 5 is just a continuation of, of chapter 4. And as I was looking at it and preparing my thoughts, I thought, who am I kidding? <laughs> who am I kidding? We're not going to get through chapter 4 and also halfway through chapter 5 because who knows me better than me? Nobody. Um, Tracy likes to, to give me a hard time about it. Where is she this morning? She's not feeling well. Maybe I could have got through it if, if, if I'd known she were in here. First Thessalonians chapter 4. If I said to you, what does it mean to be secular? What does it mean to be secular? What is, it, what is secularism? I think all of us might have a different thought in our own minds as to what that means, but the, the dictionary definition of secular, it is attitudes or activities that have no religious or spiritual basis. Attitudes or activities that have no religious or spiritual basis. And then of or relating to the worldly or the temporal. And when, it, when I say uh, relating to the worldly, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that which is evil, but just to the here and the now, to the, to the stuff of the world, to the temporal. And that mindset has crept into the church. That secular mindset has crept into our churches. It's the idea and the thought that tomorrow will be much like today. That I'll wake up in my bed tomorrow, and time will just keep going, and tomorrow will be much as today is, the same, with no thought of what the old-timers used to call the blessed hope. No thought of that at all. And that mindset has some serious implications on how we think and on how we live today. In a society where secularism has, has gained the upper hand, we can easily see how a creeping unbelief might take over. One might 
begin this journey by saying, I believe in this age and I also believe in an age to come. I believe in this life and I believe that there's going to be a life hereafter. But then they go from that to concentrating on this age rather than the next. Emphasizing this age rather than, than the next. Concerned with this age rather than the next. Thinking less of the next de-emphasizing the next, even questioning the next, ignoring the next, forgetting the next, denying the next. This train of thought has, has grown in our society and it has also grown in our churches. We prepare people more and more for this life and less and less for the one to come. I mean, just think about our churches. Think about the things that we do. I know for the last several years, I look back over churches that I have been involved with, churches where I have been a member in the past, just churches of where people that I know where they attend. We, we have things like um, marriage conferences about how to have a better marriage. And then we went through a season where we had Financial Peace University. Anybody, y'all remember that? Financial Peace, did this church... Y'all ever conduct that? Financial Peace University. We have classes on how to be a better parent and train up your children. And listen to me, church. All of that is good. God wants us to have good marriages. God wants us to have well-behaved children. God wants us to have, you know, financial peace so that we'll have more money to give to him, to give to the work of the church, not so we can just do our own thing. All of that's good stuff. I'm not saying it's not good stuff, but we, we concentrate so much on the here and the now, preparing our people for this, and we have forgot about the then and the there, the age to come. In our text today, Paul raises two problems with such secular thinking. First is the hopelessness of secularism. The hopelessness. And then secondly, the immorality of secularism. Let's look at our text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. The Bible is the nearest thing we have to the breath of God. My, my old preaching buddy says that, and I've fallen in love with that. The word of the Lord. 
Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Paul identifies a hopelessness there in verse 13. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Fall asleep is just a, a common uh, euphemism for, for death, for those who have, who have passed on. And their ignorance about death was causing them to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, notice what Paul does not say. Paul does not say that when you lose a loved one, do not grieve. That's not what he says. When, when someone who is close to you, someone that you love dearly, when a parent, when a brother, a sibling, a child, a close friend succumbs to death, those of us who have known them, who have loved them, who have walked beside them, we ought to grieve. We ought to mourn, possibly even wail. Paul never says, don't grieve. That's part of, that's part of the healing process that God has given to us, to, to, to cry, to shed tears, to let it out. Why? Because you're sad. You're sad that that person is not going to be with you anymore, even if they're a child of God. Sometimes, oftentimes, when, when hard times happen, when, when a tragedy befalls us, when, when something strikes, we, we, we want to say something to help people, to, to encourage them. And oftentimes, we just open mouth and insert foot. We, we, we want to say something that will help, and we wind up just, just making them feel badly. Someone says, well, the reason that your child died is because God just needed another angel in heaven. Don't say that. We don't become angels in the first place when we die. We don't become angels. But God didn't call your child home because he needed an angel, and so you would be sad. Paul doesn't say, don't grieve. What does he say? I don't want you to grieve like 
the rest of men who have no hope. He identifies this hopelessness. So many in our world today live with no hope. So many spend all of their time on this life, on that which is temporary. And when that's over with, guess what? There's nothing left but hopelessness. And Paul's answer to that is the Christian does have hope. Look at verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Because of our connection with Christ, we can have hope even in the face of death. You know, I've preached several funerals through the years, mostly for believers, mostly for, for Christians. And even though that can be a very sad, sad time where we shed tears, it's also a, a very joyful time. It's an exciting time, if you will. It's a celebration of life and a person who has now gone on to an eternity with Jesus. It's a beautiful time, really. It's really when, when true life begins, if you understand what God has designed us for. Death is really a passage to when the real life begins. We think about this life as being so real. But I'm telling you, folks, if you can touch it, if you can taste it, if you can see it right now, it is very temporary. So even though that's a sad thing, it's also a very joyful thing. But you know what? I've also had to preach a couple of funerals for unbelievers, people whose family have told me that they, they didn't go to church, they weren't believers in Christ. And I'm going to tell you what, <laughs> that's difficult. That is a hard, hard funeral to preach. What am, what am I going to say? And I even ask myself, why would a family of a non-believer want me to preach that funeral? And I have to think to myself, maybe it's because they know that I have some hope. Maybe it's because they believe that I believe in someone who died and came back to life. You, you guys missed a perfect opportunity to say amen. I wonder, I wonder if they wanted me to preach that funeral because they believe that I believe in a man who died and rose again. Wow. I wish I had a church to preach to this morning. It is because of that fact. Listen to me, I said fact. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus died and rose again. 
I believe that is a fact. And because of that, we can have this hope that if we are in Christ, even if we die, we too will rise again. You see, death does not break that union with Christ. Apparently, some of the Thessalonians thought that those who had fallen asleep were going to miss out when Jesus returned. You see, apparently they thought that their loved ones who had died, who had gone on before them, were going to somehow miss out on things when Jesus returned. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. In fact, when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ are going to take precedent. It's as if they've got dibs, as if they're going to be riding shotgun. You guys know what that means? You understand when I say riding shotgun? When you were a little kid and your mom said, hey, we got to go to the grocery store. Y'all hop in the car. And your older sister said, I got shotgun. What did that mean? She's going to ride in the front seat. Y'all know where that comes from. The old stagecoach where the guy's riding up there. That's really not a good place to be if you're on a stagecoach, you know, riding shotgun. I never, I never thought about that when I was a kid. That was a scary place to be, right? People shooting at you. You got the, anyway. When you're a kid, you want, you want dibs. You want dibs on riding in the front seat. Now, there are some unwritten rules to dibs. You, you can't call for dibs like two days in advance. You can't say, the next time mom says we're going somewhere, I've got dibs. It doesn't work that way, see? It has to be in the moment. You got to call dibs right then. You got to call shotgun right when mom says it. You can't call it early. Did y'all know that that was an unwritten rule? I'm telling you now. You got to call it right then. Paul says, those who have died in Christ, they're not going to miss out. They've got dibs. <laughs> they're going to be riding shotgun. They're going to rise first. They haven't missed out on anything. You see, that's why he said, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of the people who have no hope because they thought that they were the dead in Christ were going to miss out. They had no hope for them. He says, that's not, that's not the way it works. You can have all the hope you want because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Look at verse 15. According to the Lord's own word. Now, that is not, that's not recorded anywhere in the Gospels. So honestly, I don't know if, if this was a, a direct revelation that was given to Paul or if this was something that Jesus taught that had been passed down orally. I don't, I'm not sure. But, but he says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord. Now, Paul is not saying that they're going to be alive. He's just saying that all those who are alive when Jesus returns, he says, they will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Does that sound like something that's going to happen in secret? That sounds like something everybody's going to know about, doesn't it? The voice of the archangel, the trumpet, 
This is going to be, it, it, it almost, it's got this appearance as if Paul is speaking about a, a conquering king returning. When, when, when a king might uh, conquer a, a, a new territory, his army would come back victorious, that king would, would march in and, uh, you know, all hail to the king, long live the king, and he would be followed by a procession of people. That, that's the imagery. That's the imagery that, that Paul is saying, that Jesus is going to come down, the archangel, the, the blowing of the trumpet, a loud command, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will have a place of honor. Far, far from missing out, they're going to have a place of honor. Verse 17, we continue. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. If we are still alive when Jesus returns, we will rise, we will ascend just like he did once before. And I love the summary here at the end of verse 17. And so we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord forever. If you are not in Christ, I want you to know that you can have that hope, that you can have that hope, that this world is not all there is. This is not all there is. This world is too small to satisfy the hopes of a creature who has been made in the very image of God. That was good. I'm going to say it again. This world, as beautiful as it is, as amazing as it is, as gorgeous as some of the places on this planet are, this world is too small to satisfy the hopes of a creature that has been made in the very image of God. It just can't hold it. This world cannot hold what God has in store for those who love him. And this hope is a hope for you to have. Verse 17 says, we will be with the Lord forever. What, what better hope do you have than that? What else is worth spending your life on than that? In verse 18, he says, therefore, because all of that is going to happen, because all of that is true, encourage each other, each other with these words. Encourage one another. The dead in Christ haven't missed out. They're not going to miss out on stuff when the Lord returns. In fact, they're going to have a place of honor. They're going to be leading the procession and then all of us who are left will rise to meet them in the air. 
when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, when that morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Will you be there? Do you have that blessed hope? I know you need it. Do you want it?